0: Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash the Boar's Nest. Hey, it's Amy Brown here to talk about St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. For 60 years, St. Jude doctors and researchers have helped push the overall childhood cancer survivor rate from 20% to more than 80%. But we need your help getting that number to 100%. And most important, your support means that families will never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food. Now, that peace of mind means so much. So join me in helping St. Jude in the fight against childhood cancer. Become a partner in HOPE and text BOBBY to 785 833 That's B-O-B-B-Y to 785-833. I'm about to hop in with uh, Josh Keir. And I always record this part after the podcast. And really, this is one of my favorite podcasts that I've done in a long time. I think you're going to really like this guy. Just, uh, and I'll get into it, but he's got four Grammys, 14 number ones. His first ever cut was Daryl Singletary back in the day. He's got a Jimmy Buffett song, Backstreet Boys, Charlie Puth. Uh, We really dive into some songs specifically, but, you know, to get this guy was a real treat. And just, just so nice. We sat and talked after the interview, too. And it's an hour long, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking ahead of time, but I thought it was fantastic, right Mike? It was awesome. yeah. when he left, uh, you know we with some we always walked down together, mm-hmm. me and whomever we walk downstairs because we're in my house, we talked for a bit, and we had another nice, thoughtful conversation, and he was like, "Man, whatever you need, let me know." I was like, "Well, let us try like 12 songs together next week. Just, <laughs> just let me sit in the room, uh, let me get a little bit of that. So it's fantastic. You're going to hear about before he cheats, which is a great story, yeah. He talks about before, it's a great story. So let me give you a, a companion piece to this. And that is when you finish this, if you scroll back and hear the Dave Haywood Bobby cast is a long time ago, probably a year and a half or so yeah, ago. At least. But Dave Haywood tells another story about need you now and how the song almost didn't make it. I referenced that, but after you listen to this, if I can encourage you to go back and check out the Dave Haywood from Lady Annabellum, And they, we really get into need you now on a much deeper level. So I think with this, if you haven't heard that, to go back and check that one out. Yeah, episode 103. Oh, nice. Well, wow, 100 episodes ago, huh? Yeah. Uh, Here we go. This is a great one. Josh Kier, and it's just uh, his story. It's it's pretty freaking cool. Check out Amy's podcast, Four Things with Amy Brown. Four Things, usually very uh, lifestyle female faith, food, family, fun. I don't know. There's not always Fs, (laughs) uh, but... But she's had some great guests on, like Kristen Chenoweth, Bob Goff. Speaking of Lady she she's done with Hillary Scott, Trisha Yearwood. Like, it's really a great podcast. Four Things with Amy Brown. There's also The Velvet's Edge with Kelly Henderson. Fashion, uh, it's a, it, that's a lifestyle podcast for female, a little edgier. There is, the guys do a sports show called The Sore Losers. There's Caroline Hobby's interview show, where she talks to mostly the wives of country stars. Fantastic. Check out all the podcasts. I'm going to get out of here and play episode 208, Josh Kier. Thank you very much. Tell your friends about it if you like it, like a Netflix show. If you like it, you brag about them like, oh, you got to check this show out. If you don't mind, tell them about an interview that you like or this podcast. That's how we, and if you don't mind rating us and writing a comment too, that would be fantastic. We appreciate that so much. Hi, welcome to episode 208 with Josh Kier. So we hadn't met until today, but I've heard a lot about you. Like a lot of people come in and you get brought up a lot good it's almost like yeah yeah it's great actually (laughs) because we were what mike d and i do is we sit around we go who would we like to talk to and you'd come up so many times and i can tell you the first time it came up was with dave haywood Mm. and dave was was talking and we'll talk about it later he was just talking about you know need you now and how that song almost didn't happen and then it almost didn't make the record and that whole process of that song and so I was like, you know, I'd like to talk to Josh Kerr. And then you walk in and there's a big picture of your face on the wall. Yeah, it kind of it's, freaked me out. For it's a humongous. <laughs> so it, it's really good to meet you.
1: Great to meet you as well.
0: I was, um, I, I do this, and you'll see where this comes around to you, but I, I do this motivational speech where I go and talk to places. And there's a whole thing that I do where I talk about how you don't always have to be working to be moving forward. You can just be listening at times. Hmm. Um, you can be present in what's happening around you. And I tell a story... About how Axel Rose from Guns N' Roses is sitting around and listening to Slash play the opening. This this, this guitar riff. And I don't want to do it exactly because I'll run the story. And he's playing this guitar riff. And Axel's like, man, Slash, like that's interesting. And he's like, what is that? And Slash says, I just playing a scale. Basically, I'm playing a scale, and and this is not a song, I'm just warming up because we're about to go into the studio. And so Axel's like, well, that's that's interesting. And he says, I wrote this poem for my girlfriend. Keep playing that. And so Slash is playing the song and Axel starts reading this poem. And it's like, this is it, this is, this is the song. Like I'm just listening. He was just sitting in the room and it was Sweet Child of Mine. And that's how, the, that's how the song gets started.
1: That's crazy.
0: And so Slash is sitting here just playing this on his guitar. And then inside of the bridge of this song, he doesn't know where to go with the song. He doesn't have it written because back then they would just get in a studio and just get totally wasted and and record right and so if you remember the bridge of this song he starts going where do we go now where do we go
1: <laughs> so he's literally he, he had just nothing. riffing he
0: literally didn't know where to go with the song that's
1: crazy that's awesome
0: and so how how i bring this up to start with you is you know that's an interesting way to kind of get into a song mm-hmm. ever sit in a room and somebody's just dicking around with something and you go well, I really wasn't planning to go here, but I have something that could work. I have um,
1: this page after page after page after page of titles and ideas Yeah, um, that I have always kept. I started keeping it in college. And so typically when I walk into a room, if somebody starts doing that, I don't say anything. I just kind of open my file Um and start, I call it my book of spells because Carrie Underwood <laughs> called it that once in a, um, in, in a group setting. She's like, oh, he just goes through his book of spells. So I actually titled on, on my uh, desktop, my little book of spells. So i click on that, start kind of going through stuff. Um, almost, you know, most of it just doesn't work for every piece of music, obviously. So you just kind of sit and you kind of go through and go through and go through until you finally go, well, I don't know, maybe that. Um, and I just start throwing things into the room. There's that point at the beginning of every writing appointment where as far as um, lyrical ideas, you're either going to be the absolute hero or you're going to look like a <laughs> moron. Um, I've kind of always prided myself on being fearless when it comes to throwing ideas in the room and just kind of going, well, I took all that time to come up with them. Let's see if they're any good. There's only one way to find out.
0: Can you think of a song where you're going through the book of spells and you're like, oh, this might actually be be something with what you're doing now? Um,
1: you mean with mute, where
0: the music was already kind of going? Yeah, where the going? music's going and you're flipping through and you, you go, hmm, well, I could actually attach this and we could go somewhere with it. And it turned out to be something, you know, pretty cool. Oh, man.
1: Sorry, I'm like running through songs in my w- brain.
0: Yeah, run through. Run.
1: Um, ty- typically, um, I, some that have been written to tracks and things. Most of the time, I come in with like pieces of music and stuff. Fully, yeah, at least something somewhat realized, or at least enough of a concept um, that trying to match it to somebody that's something already going isn't perfect. So even then, a lot of times the music will change ever so slightly. It's not usually an exact match. I don't have a slash story.
0: Do you ever? I wish I did. You ever find? Because what I find when you get into a room, you say you go in fearless. If I'm writing something comedy wise and Mm -hmm. someone comes in and when you don't know people, it's a, you're a little timid at first and not so much because of your ideas, but because just, you don't know everyone's sensibilities, right? It's like a first date. Oh yeah. It's a dance. Yeah. You're kind of, all right, well if they, and I have found that when someone comes in and they're totally fearless, it actually relaxes the whole room. Right. Like it's actually a nice start to the whole, because you're like, oh, okay. If they're going to be an idiot and yeah, an idiot maybe isn't the word, but worst no, case scenario is the best. Yeah. yeah. And I feel at times if I do that, it actually makes the room a more productive room. If yeah. I just go out and do the bo- most bonehead thing, sometimes on purpose, mm-hmm. it makes the room better because then everybody goes, oh, Bobby's an idiot. I won't be near as big of an idiot. Let me start suggesting my ideas.
1: And that's actually the whole point of, of the reason I do it. I, I don't often assume that the ideas that I'm going to start throwing out are what we're going to work on. Um, and I don't really care. Part of it is just, Getting any kind of momentum going, and um, and getting the comfort zone opened up, because once somebody starts talking and starts saying, "Hey, what about this? What about this? What about this?" Everybody else feels a little more open to going through their own stuff, especially if you've never worked together. That first time, where yeah, like said, like we were saying, it's a dance, and kind of you everybody's trying to figure out their role, where they fit in, what they're supposed to be doing. Um, just I, don't, I, I love the visit and I love the hang and all that that comes beforehand. It's it's great to catch up and all that, but at some point, something's got to happen and there's no reason for us all to be hanging out together. Right. So that's my way of being like, all right, let's get some work done. Come on.
0: I'm going to resume you just a little bit and, and we'll go into some stories here, but 14 number ones, uh, just a few of them. Luke Bryan, most people are good. I bring that up because I was a three-week number one. Mm-hmm. A rarity, the... Almost a dodo bird of country music songs. They, These days, yeah. Ah, yeah. I would say the white tiger now. Dodo bird's extinct. <laughs> Maybe the yes. white tiger of country music songs, the three week number one. Yeah, that's, they're getting more and more rare, it seems like. I was asked on the red carpet last week at, at CMT, they said, hey, what, what was your song of 2019? And not that I would listen to it all the time alone, mm-hmm. but like I said, well, my song I think that was the most important to the format. And that people have really gravitated to because of the message was most people are good. Mm. And that's what came to my mind. That was my, my visceral emotional reaction to what mm. was the song of 2019. That's awesome. So congratulations, one, on three week number one, but also a lot of people went, man, it's nice to just like, <sighs> like have that song. I needed that song.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I did. I re- I, most of the time when, when um, you meet people socially and they ask you, they find out your songwriter and They say, so what do you write? You know, obviously they mean rock, pop, country, whatever. And I smile and say I write fiction. Because that's kind of what I do. I sit around and just generally make up stories and things. Um, But in that particular case, that was written in 2016 during the presidential election or the build-up to the election. Um, Between that and some of the other things were also going on in the world at the time, I was really kind of depressed. I mean, just watching some things and kind of went. You know what? Um, it's not all bad. It's really not all bad. And I, I showed up um, at my studio that day, and I was writing with Ed Hill and David Frazier, who I've written with close to twenty years. And luckily, we've again we know each other so well that I kind of know where they are in their lives as well. And it just it was the right right idea for the right group of people and. Um, I desperately needed that song. I still find that when I sit around and play that song, when I'm performing, um, it's it still takes me back to that place that I desperately need to be these days.
0: Talk me through the life of after you wrote the song, because we know the end product. We, we've seen the manufacturing of a three week number one. Like it's been through. We've seen it. It, it, it mm-hmm. did great. But you write it, and that's a. It's been a couple years now. Mm-hmm. A few years now, actually. Yeah. So what happens right after you write the song? Do you feel like it could be something, and where does it go? And just kind of talk me through that.
1: Mm -hmm. So we we wrote the song. Um, I was the only one. I just sat and played guitar while we were writing it. So I was the only one playing during the writing. And then when the other guys left, I stayed right there in my studio and built up the record from scratch. And it sounds almost identical to what you ended up hearing on the Luke record.
0: Did they use any of that of your track? No, they
1: didn't use any of my track. I think they even might have changed the key and they cut with a live band and I'm, of course, playing individual bits and pieces and um, Jeff didn't need my tracks, Uh, pretty obviously. And finished it up. I think uh, I spent the rest of that day and part of the next day finishing up the demo, turned it into the publisher and that is usually, for me, where my
0: contact with the song essentially ends. You spent a lot of time with it. Did you feel you, because you spent what, almost two days, mm-hmm. did you feel like it was a two-day worthy song or is that just the normal process for anything that you've written?
1: If I'm the one doing the demo, it takes me that okay. long. I'm just not fast. Um, I'm, I'm a slow builder when it comes to, to building out a demo. And even beyond that, typically, um, I'm not great at them. It's not really my forte. I'll do them it's when I'm the one that ends up being the person in the room that has that skill set. But I prefer having a Jesse Frazier or Ross Copperman. Like a really a, good guy. Yeah, kind of like somebody track. that actually
0: is that guy. Did you do the vocal on it? I did, yeah. And so you send it off, and usually that's when you cut. You're like, all right, go live your life, kid. I sent you to college.
1: Yeah, I, Yeah. I don't, really call, I don't really think of them as kids because I have a kid, and so I have that emotional separation. It's like, okay, it's another day. It's another song. Um, I've been writing 100 to 120 songs a year professionally for the last 25 years and wrote pretty much every day as an amateur for the eight years before that. I'm at the point now where I love all of them. Every single thing I write, I pour myself into while I'm writing it. And then I don't have any issues letting it go. Uh, and just waiting and seeing what happens. So I hand it off to the publisher, and it's very much they're that that's their gig you know go get the songs recorded and it's tough to get outside songs recorded these days that aren't written with with the artist or and in this particular case that song almost immediately went whole on hold for a, a different artist
0: do you want to say who no not in bad taste to do no. it yeah okay what's it rhyme with no All right. no not gonna do that one. it rhyme with McGraw no. <laughs> <Raves> no. <laughs> okay go ahead <laughs>
1: nah no. um, and f- and fortunately for me, my plugger went ahead and, and played it for Jeff, for Luke, letting Jeff know that technically it was already somewhere else because somebody somebody besides my publisher had gotten, had gotten to pitch the song before I had actually turned it into my publisher. Because I sent the song to my co-writers and I was waiting to hear back from them to see whether or not the demo was... everybody was happy. And it was on hold before... I got the thumbs up from both of them.
0: Porta Porta Bine.
1: Yeah, uh, now <laughs> all right. I
0: just thought, all right, all right. <laughs> He's go just ahead. gonna keep trying. All right, <laughs> this is gonna be a fun game. Um, but that's a good sign, right? If yeah. A song goes. I, listen, I, and I've talked to a lot of people who they they've written great songs, and they feel a great, they feel it's a great song. Sure. And they're like, oh crap, I don't want that artist to get a hold of that song because I feel like it could really be special for somebody. And they don't hate on the artist. They didn't even say who it was either. Of course, yeah. But they would go, oh. I would really rather someone that really has a sh- that's working in the radio format right now to have this song.
1: Right. Which That's always an awkward conversation. It, it is, and, and it's not even a conversation I'm usually a part of. Um, in this particular case, Jeff went ahead and sent it to Luke. Okay, this is my understanding of all this, keeping, keeping in mind that I'm not present for any of this. But my understanding of the way this all unfolded is Jeff then sent the song to Luke. Luke loved it. Jeff let us know and just said, hey, Kind of keep me posted. Let us know if if the song becomes, you know, free and clear. And luckily um for me, it did. And it never left Luke after that. And the minute I heard that that Luke was into it, because I I don't write them with people in mind typically, but as soon as I heard his name attached to it, I was like, oh yeah, that's home.
0: Like it fits the brand.
1: That makes perfect sense across the board. Everything about the melody, um, the lyric, the sensibility, it, it just seemed to match. It seemed a
0: perfect match, and it was. So Luke gets the song, and until it's actually cut, I don't know if you heard, a lot of times you don't hear it. No. Until it's actually, like, available for consumption.
1: Yeah, that's typically when I get to hear it. Although, in this particular case, Jeff's Jeff's place is right around the corner from my studio and he brought uh,
0: my publisher and i over and played it for us and you thought
1: i thought amazing i was thrilled
0: now at this point though is it for sure on the record or is it just a song that's cut
1: well i don't think jeff would have brought me over there in all honesty if it wasn't going to make the record now he wasn't telling me it was a single matter of fact i think they'd already picked the first single and it wasn't even out yet so i obviously didn't have any idea whether or not they would they would send it to you guys on radio fortunately for me um i think they already kind of knew that it was going to be but they're professional enough not to make promises they can't keep and i totally get that i never expect that of anybody
0: and the first time you heard it on the radio gosh i don't know have you even heard it yet do you even have a radio <laughs> <laughs> no i do because i'm telling you you're not on anything no facebook no twitter Barely on Instagram. Well, and, and truthfully, I'm not even on Instagram. I,
1: I made a decision years ago not to be in social media. I Big Yellow Dog, my publisher, decided that it was important for those things to actually exist, and they took it upon themselves to have those things, and they do exist. I don't even have the passwords
0: for them, so I'm not on them. I... Which, do you even have a radio? That was my next question. I bio. do. Okay. There's a radio <laughs> a phone, in right? my
1: car, and right? I do yeah. listen right. to it, switching between that and different podcasts <laughs> and, and books on Audible and things. Um, but it's it's a pretty limited... It's, none of us have a whole lot of time, right? And for the most part, if I have if I have a little bit of free time, I either want to give it to my wife, I want to give it to my daughter or I want to give it to one of my friends and I want to give it to them in a very real way. I want to I want to talk to somebody. I want to speak. I want to hear their voice. Um, I don't even like texting. Truthfully, I, I wish people still picked up the phone.
0: In every pair of Takova's boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tecova's boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers. Then with occasional resoling, they'll last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecova store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. They offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods and stay cool in short-sleeve, moisture-wicking pearl snap, or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tacova's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. Tacovas.com And don't go gently, y'all. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson, Audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the kids at St. Jude. St. Jude's been leading the way in the world's best survival rates for some of the most aggressive forms of childhood cancer. Your support means that families never get a bill from St. Jude for treatment or travel or housing or food so the families can focus on helping their child live. And that really hits home for me because I've been to St. Jude many times. I've hung out with the kids, played music for the kids. Seven 785-833. <sighs> I'm going to go through your resume a little more. Have a drink of water. Okay. Yeah, take a little drink. Here, I'm going to go, because we're going to take a second here. He's got 14 number ones, including Drunk On You from Luke Bryan. Here you go. Oh girl, you make my speakers go boom, boom. FGL, you know God, Your Mama, and Me. Never gonna run Never gonna come up Tim McGraw, down. Highway don't care. Like I would like to go into stories from all these songs. I'm gonna stop here. This is an interesting one to me, cause I, this is about the time that I come to town, Mm -hmm. and I'm not sure when this song actually came out. But I came to town in 2013, so around 13, 14 is when this song.
1: That sounds about right.
0: Comes out. So when I hear it, it reminds me of driving to Nashville. I think we Mm -hmm. all have a song, a couple songs that remind us of the time when we moved to Nashville. Yeah. Because you're from Tennessee, but you're not from Nashville, right? No, I'm from about five hours from here. Okay, but from Tennessee.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, I grew up in Tennessee I, from three to
0: 17, yeah. So, I'm coming back to that song. What song is it for you when you think of moving to Nashville mm. that pops it? It can be any format of song. But for me, Highway Don't Care is that, is that song. Hmm. It's Taylor and Urban and Tim, right? Yeah. Yeah, That's a you on. crazy
1: combination.
0: What is your song? Before we get into the story about this song.
1: Um, when I think of the song that I was listening the Born to Run album. Is is, Springsteen, is just- the the Springsteen? That Springsteen record is probably the one that when I think of hopping in the car um, and heading to Middle Tennessee, because I, go- I, I moved to Middle Tennessee in, in, at 17 to go to MTSU. And... I didn't even have a car then. So I didn't really have the coming to Nashville moment until the following year when I finally got a car. And so <laughs> um when I was leaving my parents' place and driving to Nashville for the first time with my own car, it was the Born to Run record that I listened to over and over and over and over and Thunder Road is probably my favorite song of all time. So anytime I'm in a car, even if the <laughs> beautiful. Even if the radio isn't playing, that's often the song that is in my head.
0: Isn't it wild? And I read a psychology book that I often reference. It's called I'm Okay, You're Okay. And and they talk about music in the brain. And the music that we're listening to at a certain point in our life, for you, you talk about Thunder Road. For me... I think about being in college and listening to Counting Crows' desert life all the time Mm -hmm. over and over again. Mm -hmm. But what happens is when we hear it again, it triggers that same part of our brain. And and just for a split second, it's the chemical release that makes us just for that brief moment feel the exact same way we felt whenever we were doing our first round with it. And it's why we love that music so much because it reminds us of a time that was, insert whatever word you want, better, worse, more fulfilling, more exciting. But, and I wonder when you hear Thunder Road, do you, Just for a second, get that feeling of- I,
1: every time. It's it's a weird. I have a. It's great to hear it, but I actually have a hard time sometimes listening to that album now because it's so emotionally charged for me from that period of my life. Turn when, it off, Mike. No, 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 like, no, turn no. It off. Get no, it off. no, it's fine. It <laughs> no, no, no. It's all good. <laughs> but it, it's a. It's that. No, I've, I go to see him every chance I can. Um, but it is this weird time travel moment back to this moment in time where i was dying to do this dying to come to nashville dying to write songs wanting to take on the world um and wanting to get out of my little town and just get on with life and um yeah and it takes me back there emotionally every single time and while i get i get super excited about it i'm also kind of Glad I'm not there anymore. You know, I'm, I'm kind of glad that I'm in a different, very different stage in life now. And I remember going to see Bruce play downtown um, about a week after my daughter was born, and they were the band was playing the whole "Born to Run" record, start to finish, and they played it about halfway through the set, and from the opening notes of "Thunder Road." right to the very last notes of jungle land i was on my feet like trying to lose my voice for the next three years and as soon as the last note faded from jungle land he was getting ready to to rip into the next song because they were probably still going to play for another 45 minutes and i went okay that's what i needed and i went home because at that point that record had reminded me so much of where I am now as opposed to where I was when I first fell in love with it. And I just wanted to be home with my wife and my newborn. Even, even though I'd paid a bunch of money for that ticket to be there, I just kind of went, oh, and this isn't where you're supposed to be now.
0: What was it about music? Like, Where, where did that come from in you that made you want to do this?
1: I, I had a crush on a girl in my English class when I was 13. And she had a crush on somebody else. And I went home one night, and for some completely inexplicable reason, I sat down and I wrote a lyric and found a melody for it and sang it into a tape recorder and felt better. And the next day I did it again, and to this day I have never figured out how to stop. It wasn't a, like, I couldn't play an instrument other than trumpet. It's really hard to sing and play trumpet at the same time. So I didn't have a musical outlet, really, other than my voice and words. So for the next three years, I wrote songs almost every single day, just sitting down with a blank sheet of paper, writing words and singing them into a tape recorder.
0: Just melodies, no guitar. Just
1: melodies, no instrument at all. No instrumentation. And then I kind of decided that um, maybe I'd learn to play piano. So I I went and I started to take some piano lessons, begged my parents for piano lessons. We didn't own a piano or a keyboard or anything. And I think it was on about my third piano lesson that I sat down with my piano teacher and said, you know, the classical stuff you're trying to teach me is great, but I really just want to play Let It Be. (laughs) Could could you just teach me Hey Jude? And she was kind of like, yeah, I don't really do that. She goes, you can probably figure that out on your own. I said, okay. I went to my parents and said, all right, instead of paying for piano lessons, can you just get me a little keyboard that I can play at home and I'll just figure it out. And I, from that point on, I started writing songs with my really simple little piano chords. And then on my 18th birthday, my parents bought me a, uh, my first acoustic guitar.
0: Were they musical?
1: My dad played guitar. About four or five chords. Yeah. And a lot of oldies, a lot of like Elvis and that sort of thing. And I would sit around with him and sing in the living room, but I never thought to, I mean, just playing his guitar never really was my thing. And now that's my primary instrument. That's what I do all the time, sit around and play guitar. So it's really weird to me how there was one in our house and I just didn't go for it.
0: Was it ever for you, I want to be a singer? Like, Did you come to town with the ambition... I'm gonna go be a performer no I had
1: I toyed with it briefly but not there's so many so many people that come to town that is their calling that is their desire that is their goal in life that is their be-all end-all dream job that was not mine I truly wanted to write songs and then I got really frustrated after about four years of my first publishing deal at B I was with BMG for six years. About four years into it. I'd had a f- few songs recorded, but not as many as I would have liked. That's every single songwriter from amateurs all the way to Ashley Corley, probably. Nobody gets as many cuts as they want. But I was I was I was having these moments where I was going, well maybe maybe the reason these songs aren't getting recorded is because I'm supposed to do them. Not, it wasn't a, I really want to get out there and play them. It was just a, huh, okay. Well, I got to figure out some way to stay in the music business because this is what I want to do. So I started writing more and more, thinking of myself as the target and going out and playing more live by myself. And then eventually started playing with a band where I was, um, my only friends that were musicians were studio musicians because they were the only people I would hang out with. But in order to get them to play a gig, they got to get paid because otherwise they're passing up a paying gig. So during that period of my life, I was literally using my draw to pay my musicians to play here in Nashville and all my living expenses were going onto a credit card, which I don't recommend to anyone. That's a really terrible life plan. But it's what I was doing. And then... um, a few years after that, I met my, the woman who became my wife, who was also... she came to Nashville to be a singer. That was, that was her pursuit. And we had this long, um, serious conversation about what would happen if, for some reason, it worked for both of us. And we kind of looked at each other and went, yeah, we'd be done. And I went into my publisher, who at that point was Big Yellow Dog, because I was on my second publishing deal, and they'd been hanging in there with me, trying to be patient, let me figure my artist thing out because it had gotten weird. I was writing really dark folk songs and I was <laughs> writing five minute songs and six minute songs with no choruses. It, my, my music was getting stranger and stranger all the time and sat down with them and said, you know, that whole artist thing that you signed me to do, I'm not gonna do that anymore. And to their credit, they kind of went, well, what are you gonna do? Well, I'm just going to go back to writing songs and hoping to get them cut. And they said, "Great." And that was the end of the discussion. No, but you told us, you promised us, we've been invested in this. And a couple years later, we wrote "Before He Cheats," and everything changed.
0: I wonder, and I'm, I'm going to come back. The highway don't care. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah but come I'm, on. Back. I, I like. Sorry, I'll wander No, no, i I love wandering with you. We're walking down these these paths that that I like that we're creating. As you talk about doing the artist thing for a second, I was mm-hmm. reading about the, um, the, a lot of the writers from The Office, the television show The Office, mm-hmm. which is my favorite show. But what they did when that show first started after it got picked up from pilot, they took a lot of the writers and made them bit players, actors, so they could understand what it was like as an actor because they felt like they could write better for the actors if they had also had a little bit of acting experience. Now, I wonder with you, do you think it affected your songwriting at all actually going to be a, an artist, performer, singer now that you're pulled back a bit, you're writing again for that? Does yeah, that question
1: make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. Um, and I don't know if it's strictly the, the, the opening my mind to the artist thing at one point, but certainly I know for a fact all of those weird roads that I took my music down during that period of my life had a huge impact on everything that I wrote after. if for no other reason than um, my idea of what counts as commercial, I think became much broader than what a lot of other people around me thought of as being commercial music. Um, I didn't see any reason why a five minute song with no chorus shouldn't be played on the radio. (laughs) I really couldn't wrap my mind around it. I was like, but if it's really good, who cares? If it is compelling and emotional and, and you don't notice that there's no chorus, then why would it matter? I understand now the reasoning behind it. I get it. I totally get it. But, but all of those things that I tried, then by the time I got around to coming back to writing and, and thinking in terms of trying to get on the radio strictly and having to get somebody else to record it, um, yeah, I think my target was just a lot wider which I think has incredibly served me well over the years.
0: Well, you got three humongous commercial artists on this highway don't care. I'm back to it.
1: Yeah, 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 keep
0: coming back to it. I'm back to it because this song reminds me of being here and it's a McGraw song. Mm -hmm. Now, when you write that, who'd you write the song with?
1: I wrote it with Mark Irwin and the Warren brothers,
0: Brett and Brad. So when you write the song, is it written as just one person? Two people, eight people. Like, what, what, when you write the song, mm-hmm. what's the feeling in the room, and who's it for?
1: Okay, well, we weren't really thinking in terms of who it was for.
0: Okay, so there was no idea then of we're going to get two or three people on here. It was just no. wrote the song.
1: We, I had that title. Um, this idea that the highway could actually be a character. Um, I love personifying things. I like the idea of of an inanimate object being a character. I've done it multiple times well, I'm sure I'll continue to do it just because I find it fascinating. So I kicked the idea into the room. Um, Brett jumped over to the piano real fast, and he goes, what about something like this? And kind of started playing those opening lines to the song. And we didn't write the chorus right away. We just kind of started chasing that. And the last line that we got to right before we kind of went, oh, we need to write a pre, was about the radio. And so it made sense to write the beast, that little B section as the song that was on the radio. And I think I said to him, well, what if we intentionally make it a female part and we'll just hire somebody to come in and sing that part on the demo? And all of them are, fortunately for me, also have strange enough sensibilities in their songwriting to go, yeah, that's just weird enough to work. It's also weird enough to keep a song from getting cut. Right. Finally. Yeah, yeah, I every time I do something like that, you kinda know you probably either really hitting a home run or you just created a roadblock. That's the game that's my game. I like I like those kinds of songs. So we left it in when we came back around the second time. The pre-made, we made sure it made sense again so that you were listening to the radio for a second time, and it just became a bit. It became part of what made this set the song aside, that made it special. We put it on the demo that way. I sang lead on the demo, and then we hired a female singer to come in and sing that part, and we filtered it and everything to try to make it sound like pop radio at the time. They took all that stuff back off when they brought Taylor in, which was the right move. Taylor already sounded enough like pop radio. You certainly didn't need to do anything special to, to her voice to, to change that. Um, I, she was the dream, you know. She's she's like beyond what I what I was even hoping for.
0: So, do you first get the the message? Hey, McGraw's put it on hold. Mm-hmm. McGraw's yep. cutting it. Same deal. We're gonna walk down the same the same path yep. here. same path. And it's just gonna be a McGraw song. Or at what point did they go? And not only is McGraw cutting it, I think we're gonna get Taylor swept on the song.
1: You know. Immediately, they said they were going to get someone. But they never said who. And again, that makes sense not to tell us because we're not part of the process. In my head, I think I probably was like, well, maybe Faith. It seems kind of obvious. They know each other pretty well. Um, What I didn't know was... From the earliest part of Taylor's career, supposedly because of the song Tim McGraw, they had always talked about maybe doing something together. I couldn't have known that. Couldn't have planned for that. Couldn't have certainly, you can't walk into a writing room thinking, oh, we'll write the thing that finally will give them something to do
0: together. We kind of got lucky.
1: Right song, right moment, right set of circumstances
0: and then they added urban playing guitar which just made the song bigger because you got to go it's tim mcgraw big it with taylor swift holy crap and then keith urban it's just it makes it like this whole event yeah
1: it was a true event
0: yeah but again
1: not an event you could plan for i i can't make that happen there is no way in any writing room ever that i can sit down and write a song and be like yeah now we'll go get those three artists on a song that's impossible. It was just one of those amazing phone calls that you get. Then you're like, wait a minute. You're, you're telling me that Taylor's going <laughs> to sing on it. Keith's going to come play all the lead stuff on it and and be a feature on it. They're all three going to show up for the video shoot. Uh, that makes no sense, but how freaking cool. That's
0: awesome. Yeah. yeah that's a great that story. Cool. Uh, Dirk Bentley, Woman Amen, wrote that one. Dirk Bentley, Drunk on a Plane. Blake Shelton, Neon Lights. The next one hit is is a real familiar one for me. Uh, Gloriana Kissed You Goodnight. Oh wow, yeah. So it's been a while for this yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. I, Rachel and I were together for a bit when this song was was hit. So I would go yeah. out on the road with them a little bit. I just remember because she was so good. Oh
1: yeah, like, amazing.
0: One of the best pure singers I've ever heard. Yeah, she's fabulous. Tom too. I mean, they're yeah. both. They're great. So, who did you write that one with? Tom and I. Okay, So you and Tom wrote this. Yeah, just the two of us. And so, and this is this has been a while. This has had to, what, 2012? Yeah, that sounds about right. I, on, the, some of the dates kind of blur yeah, for no, me I a little it. bit. I don't even know what today is. Um, <laughs> on this song, was this, was this the number one? Actually. Oh, it was the number two that never hit was, number one? No,
1: it hit number one and yeah? didn't stay at number one. Is that what it was? I actually have two songs. That on the chart got to number one at the beginning of the week. Oh, you so it didn't finish as a number and, one, but it hit and hit and held for like five or six days, and then at the very last minute, got bumped, and that was the end. That was one. Of, that was one of the two.
0: This is what I remember about this song. Barely not because you're here, just from my mind. Remembers dumb stuff. Is that this song and a love and theft song mm-hmm. maybe. Angel Eyes mm-hmm. were battling it out all week and they kept trading places. Yep. And at the last minute on the last night, Angel Eyes jumped over it. Yeah. That's crazy. I, it was crazy. I haven't thought about that since I, since I've, I saw it happen. I
1: actually couldn't have told you what song it was.
0: But right, yeah. I think it was Angel Eyes. Does it that was, right? yeah.
1: And I'm pretty sure that was Love and Theft's first number one. And so it was also one of those weird, I really like those guys. So it was kind of one of those, well, you want everybody to win. You can't really like, be mad at, I don't know, I wasn't upset with them. You know, you just kind of just sit around and you go, okay, well, okay, that is what it is.
0: Next song. Had you had Next. number ones at that point? Mm-hmm. Okay, so it wasn't, you're not missing out on your first number one. No, I did not, All right. I was not. Uh, just to run down the list real quick, uh, Tyler Farr, Redneck Crazy, mm-hmm. Lee Bryce, Drinking Class, which by the way was the most played country song of 2015.
1: Yeah, that's I. I think that's right.
0: That's probably you didn't. Have, I know you don't have a radio, but this song was played all over the radio. <laughs> if you would have turned yeah. it on, you would have heard it. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, it was played a lot that year. Yeah. It was. It was pretty wild.
0: Uh, Frankie Ballard, hell of a life. Mm-hmm. Now I want to go up and, and talk about because you have four Grammys. So the first I the do. question is, where in your house are they?
1: Um, there's a shelf in a hallway in my house that they sit on. Um, they're there. I i I forgot. Anyway, so there's a couple little trophy things in there. And then the rest of the shelves is all pictures of the family and stuff. It's just, it's it's in a spot in the house where I get to see it, my wife gets to see it and stuff. But if anybody came over to the house, it wouldn't be like the first thing you see because oh. I'm... Yeah, I'm not
0: really comfortable mm. with that. Well, my mirror ball, when you walk in the house, from Dancing with the Stars on a one that you have to kiss it till we come in the house.
1: I actually have a mirror ball as well, from? hanging in my living room from a dance party that we threw at one oh, point. Oh, yeah?
0: <laughs> we put it up,
1: and <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a I needed a ladder to flip the switch to turn it back off because I didn't have a remote for it. So for the next two days after that dance party, we we did the dance party when we first moved into the house, and it's a, it's a pretty vaulted ceiling and everything, and... So that that thing was continuing to spin and spin and spin and I would bust out laughing every single time I would walk back into the living room and I thought it was so damn funny. It just kept me it just was a reminder not to take life so seriously that I went oh no that's staying. That is a permanent fixture in our home and it will always be there. It does not belong there at all. <laughs> it looks really weird. And yet it's the thing that gets most commented. Like we really worked hard. We spent a lot of time designing our home and I love it dearly. And strangely enough, the thing everybody talks about is that stupid mirror ball. How I works. don't care. I think it's
0: awesome. Four Grammys from three different songs. Was before he cheats the, the pop for you? Was, yeah. that the, was that the one that kind of, mm-hmm. you'd obviously been doing your thing, but the one that was like, Boom, train is now here.
1: Yeah, 10 years into publishing deals. Um, that was my first hit.
0: It's a five-week number one.
1: It was a five-week number one.
0: And I was, at the time, doing pop and hip-hop. We were playing it. Yeah. I mean, it was a multi-genre monster. Country, pop, AC. Like,
1: it. it kind of ran the gamut and blew up strangely enough, and it wasn't even one of those where they cut a pop version of it, too. Literally, it was just that record. And I don't think I realized at the time how surreal it was because I never had a hit at all. I didn't know what I was supposed to make of it. But it sent us, yeah, sent us the Grammys. We were nominated for not just country song. We were nominated for overall song. We lost out to Amy Winehouse,
0: Rehab? For rehab yeah.
1: while she was in rehab for a song swearing she would never go to rehab. Um, if only
0: Carrie was cheating or getting cheated on while the song was... I know, up, right? Going carry it would have been great. Let's Come go. on, yeah. take one for
1: the team. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was crazier, I think, than I realized.
0: Let's, let's go to the beginning of it then. Yeah. You're, you're in a room. Who's in the
1: room with you? Um, I got a call on a Saturday from my buddy Chris Tompkins. Um, I wasn't married, didn't have kids, so I still wrote on Saturdays. I wrote 24 hours a day, any day of the week back then. I just, that's all I had to do. Didn't have much of a life. And Chris called me on Saturday and said, Dude, my publisher is bugging the crap out of me to try to write something for Gretchen Wilson. Redneck Woman had already popped. They'd put out something else after that, but they were already starting to really look for the next record. He said, ah, I, got, I got a couple lines on a song that I think might be good for her. Can you come over? So I dropped whatever I was doing.
0: To go to a Gretchen Wilson aimed
1: writing writing, day. writing yeah, appointment for this thing that he already had going.
0: I, she wasn't even something I was thinking about, but
1: he had something and wanted to do it, so I drove her to his house. We sat on his back porch. He played me the opening lines of what became Before He Cheats. We spent a couple hours writing that song, I think. We got everything done but the little bridge, and I think we got back together one afternoon and finished out the song, went in the studio, demoed it. Okay, so wait a second, backtrack. Before that, we turned in the work tape to both of our publishers. Chris's publisher told him they didn't want him to demo the song because they thought it was... Way too scary and crazy for country radio. Chris calls me up, tells me, "Hey, then I don't want to demo it." I said, "Dude, we're demoing it," which means you are going to pay for it yourself. Amen. Yeah, yeah, if I have to, this is coming out of my pocket. Sure. Um, it's just I, not not that I had any idea of what it was capable of. It was mostly just another song for me, but I thought it was a good one. And then, to her credit, Lisa Johnson, who was the one that originally told him that called him back the next day and said, you know what I don't care if it's too crazy for country um, it's really really good you, you
0: need to demo it and so we did do you had him demo a dude sang the original demo no no no
1: we we yeah. hired somebody um, to, to sing the demo and she was great and um, it sounded quite a bit different it was much darker and kind of angrier had r- much heavier rock guitars on it. Somebody, they played it for Gretchen's folks. Um, I don't think Gretchen ever heard it. At least to the, the best of my knowledge, she never got to hear it. They passed on it immediately. A little time goes by. Chris calls me up on the phone says, dude, you're not going to believe this. Carrie Underwood's going to record our song. And I said, dude, that's great. <laughs> I don't know who Carrie Underwood is, but that's awesome. Because... <laughs> I don't watch much television, obviously. I'm I'm certainly not a reality TV guy. So I had no clue. I didn't, he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. She just won American Idol. This is, she's going to be the first country artist coming off of American Idol. This is going to be huge. And I went, great. Okay. I, I didn't get it. I had no idea what was coming. And again, I hadn't had any hits. So... I was kind of used to being disappointed a little bit. You know, I'd had cuts along the way and things had happened. Other people had always told me, hey, brace yourself. This is the one. This is going to be big. And it hadn't happened. So, yeah, I, I took it with a grain of salt and went, okay, that'd be awesome. But I wasn't holding my breath. And then when they finally really did put it out, and it blew up the way it did. Yeah, I, I did not know what was going on and I didn't know how to handle it. I, it was a fun ride, but I, I wish I would have had more perspective while it was going on.
0: What do you wish, one thing you wish you had done differently?
1: Um, I wish I would have enjoyed it more. <laughs> like I can remember standing next to Joe Galani at the after party of the Grammys and he looked at me all these tons of stars around and everything and um i'm kind of uncomfortable i don't love large social settings i really like small settings like writing rooms where i can really have um pointed conversations with a couple people without a lot of distraction and so we're in this big space beverly hills hotel and he looks at me and he says um so you having fun Think so, <laughs> <laughs> and he kind of gave me this weird look, and he and he said, "Well, if you can't enjoy this, you might be in the wrong business." And of course, I take it, I took these things so to heart at the time that I was like going, "Oh shit, maybe I'm in the wrong business." <laughs> and instead, what I should have been should have been doing was just laughing and going and taking tequila shots with some big star that would have done it with me because we were everybody was there and celebrating and having a good time. And instead, I was just kind of looking around and going, um, why am I here? What happened? What's going on?
0: Um, I'd be better at it now. I got better at it. Well, and that rolls me to the next one because you know, you get to talk to a few people who have one of these songs that crosses over and they have, they have their one big song they write and it crosses over and they're like, I couldn't believe it. it first of all, to get a big country hits one thing, but it goes to pop and the whole world, different country, not even just pop, it goes international, and people are, and that happens with Carrie. And you had your one song, and you're just gonna write country songs, and but then Josh, but then you do it freaking again with Lady Annabellum and Need You Now. So, with all of this from the before he cheated, and you wish you had enjoyed it, you get a chance to now experience it again. Did you do better at enjoyment? the yes. Second time. Uh,
1: yes. So, I rem- at backtracking back to the the Before He Cheats Grammy night. We're sitting there in the audience. And I have Simon who created um, all his American Idol shows and everything. Like si-
0: Simon Fuller? Simon. Yeah, Simon
1: Fuller. Okay. He's sitting next to me. And the award is given for um, best overall song, which we you know we discussed as nominated for. And we lost. And he looks at me and he goes, well, oh, there's always next year. And of course, I'm thinking, are you kidding? <laughs> Next year, do you know how rare it is for any songwriter to ever get to this point one time in their life? I just I, I so I didn't even I, I don't even know if I responded to him. I, I think I just kind of sat there, not fuming. I don't get upset very easily, but kind of just confused and going, "Are you really that out of touch with what I do for a living?" And then when it happened a second time, I wish I could have backtracked to that moment and been like, able to
0: turn around to him and go, well, not next year, but the year after. <laughs> give me two years. <laughs> give, me, <laughs> give me two years. Yeah, yeah. Um, because you won not just country song of the year. You won two. You won for song overall song of the year.
1: Yeah, I have been picked up by Charles Kelly on live television and spun around in front of a very large audience. Um, Do you remember who you beat? you remember who beat you. I remember the song that I thought was going to win. I thought Love the Way You Lie, um, the Rihanna, Eminem song. I really thought that was going to win. Um, a rap song had never won the award before. It seemed overdue. They were both massive at the time. The song had been huge. It seemed like it was going to be Eminem's year. I I kind of resolved myself to the idea that maybe we had a shot again at. Um, and The other thing is, "House That Built Me" was also nominated for overall song that year.
0: There were two country songs. There were two country songs. So you're songs worried that about year. then it being split by the, the country vote. That was vote.
1: that's the other thing. I kind of assumed there was good possibility because that, that song's amazing. You know, I love that. Was my favorite song that year was "House That Built Me." So I sat there going, "Okay, well." We might not win either of these, you know. It wouldn't have been shocking to me if, for House to Built me to have won country song. Love the way you lie to win overall, and you kind of go home going, "Well, that was fun," but it certainly wouldn't have been
0: weird. And the thing about splitting the vote is, for, for if you are listening now, what happens is, especially the Nashville block of voters, like I am a Grammy voter, mm-hmm. a lot of us because we're familiar with the songwriters or the producers, even the artists. We just vote for our people. I get it. And so then you go, well, there's two songs getting voted by our people, and they got to pick one. Some of that vote, even if it's sixty-six thirty-three, 33, it's still going to be split. So the fact that, wow, I didn't know there were two country songs in the, that category. There were,
1: yeah. And I think in the end, what really helped us was, the, was all the different genres it played in. Um, it was a hit in country. So we got some of those votes. It was a hit in pop. It was a hit in AC. It was a hit worldwide. Um, I think it went number one in 30 something countries. And all of that, I think, just kind of ended up culminating in a, in a bizarre, crazy, crazy all night. Right. Like an unexplainably crazy night.
0: Okay, so that night, are you a little happier? Oh, yeah. Oh, and you're like. I got. Oh, I was it. I was euphoric. Did you do any tequila shots with any big stars?
1: I did not, but I did some whiskey shots with some people. Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, as soon as we won, we went backstage, and they put us in this tiny little room um, in the in the backstage of the Staples Center. And I don't know where they got it, but uh, well, I guess somebody from Lady A's crew was already back there, and they already had a bunch of whiskey shots ready to go on the chance that we won. So they.
0: It's like the World just, Series, and they have all the bottles. Oh, yeah exactly, the yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So they they ushered us back to that room, and I'm assuming they probably, I think those shots were probably lined up for record or something else that they might have thought they had a better shot at. But that was the first award of the night. Of course, they ended up, I'm sure, going back there and drinking a lot more whiskey before the <laughs> night was over. And I was only there for one of them, but it was still fun. So they passed around a bunch of shots, and we, and we, um, Get a bunch of hugs and I, I, my mind was melting. I mean, um, like I said, I was kind of resolved. Uh, I'd already lost the thing once, um, assumed I was going to lose a second time. And, and, but this time,
0: that time, yeah, I was happy. Do was, you remember when they have the card out and they're about to read it? Mm-hmm. Do you remember who was presenting? Um, yeah, John Mayer. Okay, and do you remember that brief space before they say the winner? Like, can you look back and go, "Oh God," nah. and, and remember your heart or anything total like that? Total blackout. Yeah, like because it's total. one of two things. It's either blackout or it's every second is vividly remembered.
1: No, I I kind of have this, yeah, kind of missing moment where I think I probably close my eyes or something, and I kind of remember my wife screaming more than I remember (laughs) anything being called out on stage and then us like we were hugging and jumping and like we were losing our minds which is why we got to the stage and Charles just picks me up and starts spinning me around. I have this picture of Dave and Hillary at the microphone like doing the responsible thing and Charles like holding like practically throwing me over his shoulder like a sack of potatoes. And it was pure joy.
0: I mean, we're looking at it here. Yeah. And there you four are. Yeah. And you—what did you write that with? When I wrote it with them. All three of them? Yeah, the day I met them. Well, how special is that? That you wrote it with all three, you all got to experience that together.
1: Yeah, it was pretty wild. It was a,
0: that was a weird writing. You're looking so happy in this picture. Oh, dude. Been- you I are, was. yeah, you are very happy right well, now. He, I, like I was that. also,
1: I was also shocked at what was happening. <laughs> that he was hugging I mean, you or you he, won? He's A, well, both. <laughs> he's A, a lo- very large man as far as height. And so when he picks you up and starts swinging you, I don't
0: care if you're on a stage or not. It's shocking. <laughs> um, that's, a gra- that's a great picture. Do you have that yeah, picture in I your do. house? That's a, that's a great picture. Yeah. Well, listen, I'll ask you some of these uh, generic questions and, and we'll finish up with something poignant, I'm sure. It's our style. All right, great. Style. However you want to roll. Uh, what country artist would you most likely get invited to their house for Thanksgiving? Hmm.
1: That's a great question. Um, maybe Dirk's. Maybe. I don't know. But even then, I don't, I don't expect that. Not by any means. Although he's a man. He's a great guy he's the best dude yeah he's best dude he's better. the best dude yeah
0: yeah uh last week lizzo had to give songwriting credit to someone for a tweet that inspired lyrics do you know lizzo truth hurts i just took a dna test turns out i'm a hundred percent that you know that song at all no i do know. so it's the number one pop song right now it's been okay for weeks but what happened was somebody tweeted out the biggest lyric of the song she used it in a song and had to give him songwriting credit oh my goodness this is the song. Oh,
1: no, right? I do know this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, it sounds different when she does it, you, know.
0: <laughs> you don't think I was... I was yeah, we were just close. But, you know, you I was close. was You, it's, it's right? oh, you there. just could have said no and we were done with our life. So, have, has anything ever played a pivotal part in a song with you where you're like, oh, I got that from something else now that I think about it?
1: Mm, sort of. There's a line in Before He Cheats. Um where it talks about in the chorus um, carving a name in leather seats. There's an outtake from the Born to Run album called Linda, Let Me Be the One. Um, it's almost impossible to understand the lyric and the outtake, but he talks about, it's this guy who goes to his teenage kid, goes to his girlfriend's ca- house, and he's standing on the hood of the car, and he's trying to get her to open the window and talk to him. And she won't come to the window. Linda just won't show up. And so he breaks into the car. I'm assuming it's like her dad's car or something. And he carves Linda's name in the seats of the car. Um, That image was such a bizarrely violent, romantic image that um, I didn't even realize I had done it until years later. And I went, because I was like, where did some of this come from? Is my head really that strange? And I was listening to the box set and got to that song and I was listening to it and I was like, oh shit. That's where it came from. I bet that's where it came from because otherwise I don't, I don't have any reason to think that any woman should be showing up at a bar not only with a bat but also with a knife. Um, yeah, so I think that, but I mean that's kind of, that's kind of what most art is, right? It's. It's every book you've ever read. It's yeah. every piece of music you've ever heard. It's, it's every movie you've ever seen, every TV show you've ever watched. Like it's all derivative. Every conversation you've ever had with anybody, that's literally who you are. So at some level, it has to become, okay, well, if it's part of me, then it's somewhat fair game unless it's literally just regurgitating an exact copy of something that came before because it's impossible not to be influenced. I don't have any problem with that. Um, even, even my biggest heroes, some of them have songs with the exact same titles of some of their heroes. It's, that stuff's been done bef- long before I ever wrote my first song. I'm, I'm okay and at peace with some of that. Um, I try not to intentionally do it.
0: When your songs get put into movies, Pitch Perfect Two, Zero mm-hmm. Zero Dark Thirty, uh, country Strong. Do you ever go watch the movie? Yeah, you do. I
1: actually saw, I I saw Zero Dark Thirty without knowing our song was in it.
0: Oh, you just went to watch I as just a fan went, of possibly that movie. Yeah, I,
1: I thought the movie looked great. We went and we're sitting there in the seats, and When Nietzsche Now started to play in the background, <laughs> it's like yeah. reaching over. We're still trying to both watch she the movie again, like <laughs> <a bear>. no, <laughs> no, but she was like grabbing my arm and squeezing. You know, I'm like, yeah, I know, but. Um, yeah, I guess they just it, it was set at a certain time period, and they just wanted something that had been played a lot during that time period. It was nothing more than that. I mean, it wasn't like they went, "That fits the scene
0: perfectly" or yeah. anything. It was just, again, right time. One final question, and we're going to wrap this up. What piece of advice from another songwriter or an artist has stayed with you the longest? Hmm. It could be early. It could have been today.
1: Yeah. Um, Gosh, there's a lot of them. So I had... um, I had a lot of mental roadblocks to overcome to be successful in life. Not the least of which was my idea of, of selling out, you know... W- being willing to be commercial at all. Um, and then I, I had a, a friend of mine, Ed Hill, one day. He didn't even realize he was doing it because I talked to him at many years later about it and he didn't know he was saying it to me. We were talking about art and art and commerce and, and music and money and how it all comes together and... Um, in my head I had these these ideas that if it was if it was commercial, then it probably wasn't that great. And he said, you know, there's an art to getting on the radio too. And there's no shame in wanting to get to make a living in something you love for the rest of your life. And that conversation with him was one of those moments where I, I, I kind of went, oh, okay, It's not you're not truly selling out. You're just creating something that a lot of people get to hear. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, if I'd wanted my songs to just sit in a shoebox in a closet, I could have done that without getting a publishing deal. I could have done that without coming and spending 25 years of my life working my butt off in Nashville
0: Um, more of those six minute non-chorus songs could have had us I know right I know could have
1: just stuck to my creative artsy guns and and not been interested whatsoever in ever making a dime in the music business and every now and then I, I meet somebody that is in a similar place where I was at the time and um, it's a fun conversation for me to have because I've very much been on both sides of that.
0: Well, listen, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, it's great. And I hope that I hope that you did too.
1: Yeah, it's,
0: thanks. Uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Um, well, this is everything that I hoped it would be. It's the opposite of prom and New Year's where <laughs> you really hope it's going to be something and then you're like, I mean, it was okay, but it really wasn't. I gotta right. tell you, this is much better. This is like a Thursday night when a friend calls and goes, hey, you want to go get some dinner? And you're like, I'm kind of tired, but all right. Then you want it's like the greatest night, and yeah, you yeah. can't actually predict it. Best That's night of your what life. this was, Josh. Yes. That's what this was. Yes.
1: So you had very low expectations, of me uh, and I exceeded them. Yes. That is always my goal. I in had life. really good <laughs> expectations,
0: and you still exceeded them. It was great. Good. Um, good. Oh, well, there we go. That wraps it up. Um, as we walk out the door, which financially does more: fourteen number ones or two together massive international songs that the pop? If you, which one is the bigger? The, the bigger house. All 14 number ones are the two songs that cross genre.
1: I can truly tell you I have no
0: idea. And I believe you. That's the thing. <laughs> I my, believe you.
1: <laughs> in my house, my wife takes care of it, deals yeah. with money. Right. I am not a numbers guy. That's like the worst idea ever is to hand me a checkbook and expect me to balance it.
0: So, yeah. I... I wouldn't have a clue how to answer that. I'll accept that answer. There he is. Okay, cool. Josh, good to see you, bud. Yeah. Thank you thanks. very much. It's really been a joy. All right, uh, episode 208 of the BobbyCast with Josh Kier. Tell your friends about this if you don't mind. Uh, tell them about this one specifically. I'm going to listen to this one like five times. Even though I did, it, I'm going to go back and listen to it like five times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, thanks, guys. In every pair of Takovas boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort. And timeless Western style. Tacova's boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tacova store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit Tacova's.com. That's T E C O V A S.com. And don't go gently, y'all.